Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A Table Talk. This is a podcast that is hosted by the Beloved Community. My name is Erwin Lopez, and I'm the co-chair of the Beloved Community that works alongside the Bishop's Anti-Racist Task Force. And we are very excited to talk today on the topic, The Past and the Future of Latinx Ministries. Como hoy es, uh, vamos a hablar de la, los ministerios latinos, va a ser en inglés y español. Vamos a ser bilingüe para que la gente aprenda un poquito de español. This is going to be hopefully a little bit bilingual for our brothers and sisters who are listening to this. But I'm very excited to host and to talk to Reverend Cruz Edwin Santos. He is an ordained elder of Puerto Rican descent in the Florida Annual Conference, and he was an instrumental part of the growth of our Hispanic ministries here in the Florida Annual Conference. And he is currently serving as a director of Hispanic Latinx ministries in the Pacific Northwest Annual Conference, which and as the consultant for Hispanic Latinx ministries for the Alaska, Oregon, and Idaho, and Mountain Sky Annual Conference. And so I wanted to interview him on this topic because he comes with not only years of experience, but he also has experience in terms of demographics because he started Hispanic ministries here in Florida, and now he's over there in the Pacific Northwest, and he's also working with these different annual conferences. And so I'm very excited to talk to him, especially in this age of disaffiliations, as we're seeing really a lot of Latinx ministries kind of leave the conference. And we can talk more about why that's happening, but let's just get right into the conversation. So, Pastor, muchas gracias por estar con nosotros hoy en este día. Thank you for being with us here today. And what do you think? Let's talk a little bit about the past and the future of Latinx ministries. Thank you, Erwin, for this invitation. Uh, I am so happy to be here participating in this conversation with you and also with the opportunity that I have to connect with my friends and colleagues from Florida Conference. Uh, estoy contento de estar aquí y de conectarme nuevamente con los hermanos y hermanas de nuestra conferencia en Florida. Uh, yes, I have been for a long time working with Hispanic Latinx Ministry in the United States. Uh, my first appointment, it was in the Northern Illinois Conference. Uh, yo fui invitado ahí para desarrollar una obra multicultural en un pueblo cercano a Chicago y trabajé plantando una iglesia por dos años en el área de Rockford, Illinois. Uh, luego de esta plantación, eh, me moví. I moved to Florida Conference uh, to serve uh, in the Florida Conference, and I was appointed to a Hispanic church in the central area of Florida, Kissimmee, United Methodist Church. Uh, and, and then uh, after my work in Kissimmee, I was uh, uh, invited and hired by the conference to lead the Hispanic Latino ministry in the conference level. Uh, I can tell you that the Hispanic ministry and Latinx ministry today is completely different to the Hispanic Latino ministry we uh, developed like 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, Sometimes when, when we think about the Hispanic ministry uh, in the past, we were thinking in how to recruit Spanish-speaking leaders who play guitars and can connect with our community but the reality that we are facing today in the Hispanic Latino ministry development is completely different. We have a more st stable community. 
who are more bilingual, more well-educated, uh, making those places where they live the place where they are having roots to stay there for a long time. And saying that, uh, challenging us as a structure, nos, nos, nos reta a nosotros como estructura in how to develop a strong strategy, a strategic plan to be successful in the uh, development of Hispanic Latinx ministry. Uh, in the past, when I was working in other places, uh, basically my conversation with the cabinets were, uh, we need a Spanish speaking person to lead the Hispanic ministry in that place. Right now, cabinets are asking me, we need a bilingual person who can connect with Hispanic Latino from first generation and from th second and third generation, who can communicate well in both languages. And that specific uh, situation is creating for us new challenges because the recruitment is not only for person who can connect uh, in Spanish, but also who can connect with our children who are born here, and sometimes they prefer the English language to communicate. Uh, and also uh, have been creating a challenge in terms of the perspective of who, how our ministry looks like uh, uh, in the past and for the future. Uh, in the past, we were talking about Hispanic ministries that were very conservative and traditional. Uh, now, uh, uh, if we count with the children that have been developing in with us here in the United States, we have a very mixed uh, uh, amount of people in our churches that can be called also progressive or liberals, meaning that we need to create the space and the room for this community that are developing right now. Uh, I can tell you that sometimes there is a, a, a assumption that we have in the connection that all the Hispanic, all leaders from the Hispanic community are conservative or traditional. And at one time I hear somebody telling me that. And after the meeting, I was thinking, mm, I am not sure if that is a, a real statement because I believe, you know, I am a very, uh, progressive person in my perspective, but also I begin in my mind in that moment to make a list of friends that I have who are working in different conferences and in the connection that they are progressive. And I said, well, our community, our Hispanic Latinx community in the United States is changing and we need to be ready for that. Uh, following that reality that we face, uh, we assume the call from God here in the place that I am right now working, and we are developing our one of the first uh, bilingual uh, progressive church in the Seattle area, uh, where everybody is welcome, where everybody is affirmed, where everybody can be part of the ministry. And in the beginning, it was very challenging because we have to recruit the right person for that. But as soon as we begin to see the results, we saw that we were in the right direction. Uh, I'm so glad that we can talk about the future uh, uh, of the Hispanic Latinx ministry, that in my case, it is not uh, create the future without 
forgetting about the past because the past teach us a lot of good things. And if we take that past, uh, those situations that we have in the past, uh, and we use as the experience that we have as a community, I think that that past teach us to be more assertive in our leadership, to be more in connection with the, 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 the cabinet who are working precisely with the appointment of leaders in our church, but also uh, to be aware that our church, the Hispanic Latinx church this time in 2023 demand a very diverse ministry who can be part of this community that is growing. Erwin, uh, uh, in terms of the of the statistic information that that I that I pulled out for for this conversation, in United States we have 63.7 million Hispanic Latinx living, and this information was got from the Pew Research Center, uh, with the group who is. Uh, have the priorities from Mexico, then Puerto Ricans, Salvadorans, and Dominicans. But also, the the information that I got uh, uh, said that Venezuelans, Dominicans, and Guatemalans are the fastest growing Hispanic Latinx group in United States. Uh, and and that is something that I want to share with you an experience that I have when I was a pastor in Kissimmee. Uh, you know that in Florida, we have most of the Cuban in the South area and most of the Puerto Rican in the Central area. Uh, now that is changing because we have more people moving to Puerto Rican, moving to the South and Cuban to the, the Central area. But at that time, you know, I was so happy with my order of worship and I was using some resources for, for the worship time. And I had this family that it was attending to the church from Venezuela. And they told me, they told me, Pastor Santos, you are a great worship leader. We are so happy to be here. But can we have a meeting and we can tell you and recommend to you some music from Venezuela that you can use for the worship time? It was like a aha moment for me as a leader. You know, I was to attach to the music from the Caribbean, from Puerto Rico, from Cuba, but the reality of my community was telling me there are more different people in this group that they need to be part of. And that is that story share our reality as community. You know, maybe you, you are appointed to a church that the majority are from El Salvador, from Venezuela, from Colombia, and you as a leader need to open your mind, your heart to learn, be able to learn and to change, to be able to let these people to teach you those things that they really want in order that they can feel welcome in that community. Another major shift in the Hispanic Latino community at this time is that uh, uh, the majority of Hispanic uh, Latinos in the United States 81% are U.S. citizens. 81% are U.S. citizens. Sometimes when the dominant culture speak about Hispanic Latino, they believe that all are without papers 
and they use this term that I don't like to use, right? <laughs> Illegal. Uh, but the reality is other, it's different. 81% of Hispanic Latino in the United States are U.S. citizens. Meaning, and this and this number is growing compared with 2010. In 2010, we have 74% of Hispanic Latinos. You see a major growth there. But also, the number of Hispanic Latinos in the United States who speak English proficiently has increased compared with 2010. In 2010, we have 62%. And in 2021, 72%. Meaning that we have people in our congregation that they feel comfortable going in two languages during the service or to communicate. Uh, I think it's important for us as a leader, Erwin, to look at, at those uh, changes that, that are in our community, because as leaders, those changes give us uh, the reality and the picture of our community that we are working with. No, I appreciate all those statistics and some of what you shared about the past. And it made me think about just a lot of different things. And mm -hmm. I don't even know where to start, really. But, you know, in my experience working with Latinx ministries and something that I feel like a lot of people need to know is that, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, okay? Mm -hmm. A lot of Latino people who come to the U.S. who migrate either from Central America, from South America, or even from the Caribbean, they come from more conservative backgrounds. It's either statistics show that Latinos are either Catholic or Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. And if they're not Catholic or Pentecostal, they're evangelical because they've been evangelized by these groups. Right. Is that correct? Yes, that you, you are right. And, and, and I think uh, that reality is something that we need to take in consideration in, in at the time that we are implementing strategy for Hispanic Latino ministry. But at the same time that we have this community that sometimes is more towards conservative or traditional church, uh, there is a strong movement right now uh, from their children to be more inclusive and to be more cons uh, 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 liberal. Uh, meaning that the same conversation that you and I we are having they are having the same conversation in their houses between pa parents, mothers, and children. And children questioning them, why we cannot open the room for people who are different, <laughs> you know? Why we are no more intentional with those communities and, and groups that have been excluded from our, from, from, from our congregation. And those conversations are challenging parents, you know, who are, who are attached to traditional perspective to create more room and to be more open for a different church that can embrace all different kinds of people. Uh, uh, when I meet with congregation that I have congregation in this area that they are uh, towards more conservative, what I share with them is, I, I don't came here to change your point of view theologically, but at least to find some point in common that if you receive a person that is different than you, you will be able and open to embrace that person of a person that God sent to you to be ministry with uh, and not excluded. And if I find out in the congregation, say, okay, we are in, in a good place. Uh, we have a good place for that conversation. 
where what I feel frustration is when I find conversation in the local church that they don't create that room for people who are different than us, you know? Uh, and in those conversations they are having, they exclude this kind of people because I don't believe that they, they, this is the plan from God. I don't think that they should be part of the church. Uh, and I have problem problem with that perception, with that point of view of the church. Because for me, the church is a community of faith that's really embraced all different kind of people with perspective, with backgrounds, with preferences, with identities. And God is the one who create that in terms of the kingdom of God. And 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 but but I I I have to tell you that that you are right. You know, we face that situation now in our Hispanic Latino that that we have a group that are more towards traditional, but at the same time we have a group who are challenging that point of view in our local churches uh, to be more a progressive and inclusive church. And how has the disaffiliations impacted that? Because what I'm seeing here in Florida is that we're losing a lot of our Latinx churches, and most of those churches are led by Cuban pastors. Mm-hmm. And if we take a second to consider the history of evangelism in Cuba, it's mostly for more conservative evangelical groups. Um so that, I guess that's what's happening here in Florida. We're losing a lot of our Cuban churches. They're a lot more um, conservative. Um, what's happening where you are with disaffiliations? How is that impacting Latinx ministries? Uh, we don't have any Hispanic church here that is disaffiliating from the UN- UMC at this moment. Uh, the amount of churches that we uh, approve to disaffiliation uh in our special section in the summer, I think it was 13 churches, 13 churches in total. Uh, we are not sure if we need to have another special section for two or three more churches. Uh, in terms of the, the, the disaffiliation of Hispanic Latino in Florida conference that I heard that is very obvious that a lot of Hispanic Latino decided to, to go to a different expression. Uh, there is another thing that we should learn from that situation uh, that I learned as a pastor, you know. Uh, when we are hired from our countries, in, beca- in my case from Puerto Rico, to be a pastor in the United States, my first option in terms of my leadership is to follow what I was doing in my country, you know, use the book that I have to lead congregation in Puerto Rico. But I can tell you that after three months working in my first appointment in the United States, I have to say, this book is not working here. <laughs> here is different. We have a different, a different community. Meaning that uh, the Hispanic community need to ask, our, to ask themselves, you know, how different is this community to the community that I was developed in Puerto Rico or in Cuba? Uh, because really, people that move to United States, just by the fact that we are moving to United States, uh, uh, it is an opportunity for us to change some point of view 
and to change the way that we are uh, seeing the, the ministry. Uh, I am sad that this is happening in my conference. Uh, I spend a lot of energy uh, in my work in Florida conference. Uh, and because this is looking the past to, to move to the future, looking at the past, I remember having 65 Hispanic churches in Florida when I was the director of Hispanic ministry. I know that this number have been reduced in the last years, but also we have one of the biggest family camps in the structure in the United Methodist Church that we receive more than 700 Hispanic Latino families from Florida conference. And I remember that I have a waiting list of people waiting for somebody to cancel because they want to go. Uh, and the question that I that I am asking myself is uh, how we can uh, bring it back that energy that we had in the past. Uh, and I don't think that this is only the responsibility of the Hispanic Latino leaders. I think also show uh, some uh, areas that need to be improved from the institution in terms of how they are developing Hispanic Latino ministry. I always challenge my cabinets that they need to do better in how they are recruiting Hispanic Latino leaders. I always tell them this, this funny story. Seems to me that when you are hiring a Hispanic Latino, the only two requirements that you are asking is, do you speak Spanish? Do you play guitar? You are hired. It is more than that, <laughs> you know, and 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 I share this information with my cabinet because I want to challenge them to be more aware that this is important for our church, that Hispanic Latinists we are part of the United Methodist Church, and 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 they need to take responsibility also for that, uh, and that is the reason I'm saying that I am sad about what is happening in Florida, who is my home conference, but but I don't think that it is only the responsibility of the Hispanic Latino leaders. I think uh, structural thinking, there are some things that need to be put in place in order that this situation that we are facing of declining will change for the future and we will continue growing Hispanic Latino music. Because la realidad es que en, en Florida tenemos los condados que tienen más, más hispanos. O sea, y si tenemos hispanos, tenemos el lugar para trabajar y traerlos a la iglesia. And, and the, the question is, if we have a majority of Hispanics in these counties in, in Florida Conference, why we are not growing? <laughs> what is happening? What we are doing here that these numbers are not show up in the reality of our churches and the numbers that we have in local churches? No, I think that's a great point, which brings me to my next question. And for you, you've probably seen so much, so many successful ministries and, you know, unsuccessful ministries. Mm -hmm. And so while this may be a question that will make you think back to the past, um, I'm curious, mm -hmm. what are some elements of successful Latinx ministries? If you were to look back and say, that ministry was successful because blank. Mm -hmm. And I want you to look at it from two perspectives. One from 
Latinx ministries led by Latinos. So let's start there and then we'll move towards what are the successful elements of Latin ministries led by non-Latinos? But first, let's start with the Latinos. What are the elements of successful mm -hmm. ministries led by Latinos that you have seen? Uh, the successful models that I have right now have a combination of elements that are around that church. Uh, have a leader that really is the best one for the vision that they are developing. They have a very stable community, Hispanic Latino community, that they are staying there for a long time. You know, uh, if you begin a ministry in a place that the Hispanic Latino are coming just to stay there for six months because they are collecting the oranges, you know that this ministry is just only for six months <laughs> because after six months they will move. But in those successful uh, models that I can share with you, we have a strong leadership a very a, a community, a Hispanic Latino community that is stable and stay there forever, you know, for a long time. But also we have a great commitment for the institution that they provide the resources they needed for the development of Hispanic Latino ministry. Uh, one of the things that we have been committed as an institution is that there is a very uh, unbalanced um, uh uh, in terms of resources that we share with community of colors in from the institution to those communities. Uh, and and el, el mensaje que viene a mi mente es como el pasaje de, de, de cuando se come de, de las migajas de debajo de, de la mesa. Eh, y así a veces sentimos el Ministerio Hispano, que estamos tratando de lanzar adelante el Ministerio Hispano, pero colectando de las migajas, de lo que sobra de la institución, de lo que sobra del presupuesto, de los 20 mil dólares que nos dan para desarrollar iglesias que ni 20 mil nos da para, para poder reclutar un pastor. Y eso me parece a mí, I think that that shows that we have a very systematic problem in our institution that needs to be fixed. Uh, if we want strong Hispanic Latino ministries, we need to invest. We need to put the money. We need to put uh, those resources in the place that need to be uh, placed in order that Hispanic Latino ministry will have the resources they need. Uh, but how we can develop strong Hispanic ministries if the pastor doesn't have a secure for at least a salary that will show uh, the type of, of pastor who is in the temple of elder or associate member or, or, or licensed local pastor. And, and, and those situations, uh, when are present in the development, developing of Hispanic Latino ministry, are contributions for ministry that will fail in the future. Uh, uh, I always tell the Board of Congregation are developing here and in other places that the stra strategy that we are using to develop Hispanic Latino ministry uh, need to be contextualized uh, in terms of our social and economic situation from our community. Uh, Sometimes in the dominant culture uh, from, from middle class, uh, uh, they give five years to be a successful church. And I tell them, uh, I don't think that that will work in the Hispanic Latino community, that they are struggling financially, that they are struggling constantly uh, with salaries and how to bring uh, uh, money for their families. 
uh, and that is the reason, Erwin, that I tell you uh, that we need some we need to to voice our our situations in those places that need to be heard, uh, because uh, in some way the institution need to hear that and said clearly the models that you have to church development didn't work for Hispanic Latino ministry because this, this, and this. They need to hear that because uh, now we have a leadership in Hispanic Latin ministry that we have the experience, that we have the energy, that we have the commitment, and we need that the institutions recognize that and invite us to be part of that decision-making. Uh, uh, I can tell you about some models that have been very successful. And in those models all the time, it is a combination of uh, resources around that ministry that really show that Hispanic Latino ministry for that conference or that district, it is a priority. Uh, there is a, a statement from the dominant culture that said that in the white culture, money talks. <laughs> right? Money talks. Dice muchas cosas el dinero. Y yo pienso que cuando escuchamos conferencias decir que los hispanos son prioridades, when we hear his uh, conferences saying Hispanic Latino ministries are a priority for us, I invite you, let me see the budget. <laughs> let me see the budget for the conference. Where are the Hispanic there? How these resources are distributed to really support the ministry of Hispanic Latino? In, in in your in your area uh, and I really like that question because it gave me uh, the opportunity to share uh one of the concerns that I have you know uh this is a priority let's take uh this ministry as a priority taking a uh, very big step providing the resources that we need to have successful Hispanic Latino ministry no I think that's great but I mean eso es lo que me preocupa a mí porque la iglesia siempre tiene estos statements que dice necesitamos más clergy latinos, necesitamos más clergy African American, necesitamos más clergy um, todo estos diferentes ethnicities, ¿verdad? Mm -hmm. But my struggle is what are we inviting them to? Mm -hmm. Are we inviting them into a system that is broken and they're going to be underpaid? They're going to deal with racial trauma. They're going to be under-resourced. They're going to be in communities that may not be the, the best communities for their families. You know what I mean? And then, mm -hmm. so that's my struggle. I'm, I don't know if you can speak to that. Um, yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, 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 to share with you some, some about that. And you are right. Uh, that is one of the challenges that we are facing, that younger generation, they the one to begin process to be pastors because they said, no, I don't want to go there. You know, I see what I have been, uh, what I have been uh, happening in the, in the past. And I don't, I, I don't want to go there. Uh, and, and, and what you, what you share show us that we really has a, an institution that is broken and need to be fixed and need to be created in a way that really respond to the Bible communities including the Hispanic Latino ministry. Uh, for example, talking about the process of Hispanic Latino leadership, 
Uh, you know that to be an elder in United Methodist Church demands a lot of hours, a lot, a lot of uh, uh, college education and seminary and interviews and psychological tests. Uh, but sometimes the path that we have to be ordained, it is closing the opportunity for those Hispanic Latino that they really want to pursue to be an elder in full connection in the, in the conference. And then we have facing this uh, comment from the institution saying, oh, when we will have a Hispanic Latino district superintendent? And I tell them, when we fix the process that really respond to our leadership who are looking to be elders, and this process will really help them to go through in a way that they feel more comfortable. Something simple, and, and an example about that. Uh, you know how difficult is the psychological test when you are uh, in the process? Uh, and in my case, that English is my second language, everything that is coming to my heart is in Spanish. And when you are talking about psychological emotions, the first words that I receive are in Spanish. And, and when I came here to PNW, we had this conversation with the Board of the Ministry, and we got in an agreement with the board that all Hispanic Latinos who are in the process, they will have somebody that will give them the test, the psychological test in Spanish language. There is no anyone now in PNW from Hispanic Latino culture that if they request the test in Spanish that they will not receive it. And I think those major changes we need to continue doing in our connection in order that we'll open more room for Hispanic Latino leaders. I'm glad you brought that up because I want you to offer us some advice here in Florida because I've been working with the Board of Ordained Ministry. I'm on the Board of Ordained Ministry mm -hmm. and we created what is called the Language Task Force. Mm -hmm. And among the board and among this group, we passed a, I don't know if it's a statement, an addendum, if it's a policy mm -hmm. that you can apply up to the elder process. You can apply to the Board of Ordained Ministry, your elder paperwork in your native language, mm -hmm. which is something that was prevented before. You couldn't do that. Exactly. Tenía que aplicar en inglés. Y estamos una cita, we were talking about this, y había un, un pastor de África, y él dijo, that's colonialism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Forcing somebody to speak the language. He said, that's colonialism. And that just, you know, changed my, my world. So we passed this, right? It got mm -hmm. approved. The majority of the Board of Ordained Ministry passed it. Fast forward a couple of months later, the cabinet had some concerns. Mm -hmm. And their concerns was in terms of guaranteed appointment. Mm -hmm. If And they were concerned that they were not going to be able to find an appointment for somebody who doesn't speak English and that that was going to be detrimental to their career. Mm -hmm. And so we got some pushback. And in, in my mind, you know, you know, my response is going to be, we got to think in new ways. Mm -hmm. We got to create new positions. We got to invest money 
into what the change that we would like to see. Um, but what do you think? What do you think about that? That ese ejemplo ahí, that case study. Es un, es un, es un ejemplo. It is, this is an, an example that really show how our institution is approaching uh, to the needs that we have uh, in our uh, Hispanic Latinx community. And you, you know, this African friend that said that is colonialism, he is right. <laughs> you know, the approach of the Hispanic Latino, the approach of the institution of in terms of the development of Hispanic Latino ministry, it is full of colonialism. They want to colonize and they want to take over uh, the ministry that we are trying to do. Uh, in those specific cases that you mentioned uh, about uh, guarantee of appointment, uh, decisions making by the cabinet, cabinets have a lot of authority and power in the in the institution. And that is the reason that we need to begin conversation with our cabinets and bishops. And the first question we need to ask, who is the voice of the Hispanic Latino ministry in the cabinet? Maybe they will respond, oh, we don't have room for open position. I'm not asking about that. Who represent the voice of the Hispanic Latino ministry in the cabinet? Because seems to me that we are trying to develop a Hispanic Latino ministry, uh, but in the place that major decisions like this one are making, we don't hear the voice of our people. And that is the reason that we have a systemic problem in our institution, because we really want to have a strong Hispanic Latino ministry, but in the place that all the decisions are making, we are not opening room for them. Uh, and I think I will challenge my institution to look in those places that our voices need to be heard. Um, oh, sorry. Sorry. No, sorry, estoy, sorry. Yo estoy viendo aquí los nombres de la persona que están en el cabinet. Ajá. Y no hay ni una persona latina. No hay ni una persona latina. Y, uh -huh. um, specific, and I can speak about Florida because I am a member of Florida. I can tell you that when I began my work in the Florida Comfort as director of Hispanic Latino Ministry, the assembly, the Hispanic assembly for that time, when Reverend uh, Aldo Martin retired, they met and they recommend to the cabinet and to the bishop three names of possibilities to invite that person, that Hispanic person to be the person who will replace Aldo Martin for that time. And at that moment was Tony Fernandez. And I remember that as part of my work. And I wondering right now if that intention, intentionality have been lo lost in the Florida conference, creating this unstable situation in terms of the representation that we have in the table that they made the decisions. Uh, our voice need to be heard. And we need to ask those people who are in those places uh, to open more room to hear our voices. Yeah, I'm getting passionate. And my passion <laughs> sometimes is confused with a little bit of frustration and anger. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. Yes, I know. Sometimes I am I am there too. 
So maybe let's let's shift the conversation a little bit. I have just a couple more questions for you. Uh-huh. And I thank you so much for your time for being thank you. here today and sharing. Um, I guess my next question would be about ministries that are led by non-Latinx people. Um, this is a message for our, our white brothers and sisters. What message would you have for them as they serve in a community that is surrounded with Latino people? That is, you know, you can't help but but think, you know, I need to do something to to help and to reach these communities. What what ellos, kind of character is needed? Ellos pueden ser aliados. They can they can be instrumental. Uh, uh, and, and, and the reality, we have a lot of uh, uh, people from the dominant culture who are serving in places that the Hispanic Latino community is growing and they don't have a clue what to do. And, and that is the reason we need to create a structure in the conference for the Latinx ministry that when these people are confused in terms of what to do, they need they know where to go to find the, the information they needed. Uh, for example, I have been in places where uh, pastors have been calling me here in the conference. You know, I have been appointed to a uh, play that the Hispanic Latino uh, community is growing. What resources you have? The first thing that I connect them is with the national plan. With the national plan, we have funds and grants that we can access, but also we have uh, leadership developing material that can be used for to serve our community. Uh, and also, I invite that person who is in that place as a person that can be connected with our organization as Latino group in order that this person begin to learn from our culture and learn how to deal with the situation that we are facing. For example, uh, sometimes uh, when we talk about Hispanic Latino ministry, we only are talking about uh, that the community is growing, that this pastor was appointed there uh, in a community that, that the majority or, or the Hispanic Latino is growing. But we forget about something that I want to share with you now, if you me permites. Los, 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 los challenges that Hispanic Latino community are facing in 2023. Uh, there are many challenges that this pastor, white pastor who are there need to know in order that they can begin ministry that really respond to the needs of Hispanic ministry. For example, language barriers is one. Lack of employment opportunities, housing access to medical services, transportation issues, cultural differences, raising children, and prejudice, racismo. And I think in my first conversation with those pastors who they don't have a clue about what to do because they were appointed to a place that the Hispanics are growing, I begin to give them an overview and also resources that we have in the conference in order that this pastor feel motivated, but also feel equipped to do the ministry that he or she have been called to do. No, I appreciate you reminding us that part of being a successful ministry period, or let alone a Latinx ministry, is creating ministries that are practical, mm -hmm. that are meeting people where they need it. Mm -hmm. And I like I like you talking about language barriers, housing, medical service. You may not be able to start a, a worship service because you don't speak the language, mm -hmm. but can you offer some transportation? Mm -hmm. Can you 
help with housing. So, yeah, no, I appreciate all that. Well, you know, we're almost running out of time here. I really appreciated everything that you've shared. Muchas gracias por tu tiempo. Fue Gra gracias y comparte, comparte con mis hermanos allá en lo que yo los pueda ayudar. Eh, mi conferencia en Florida y yo estoy prestado acá trabajando con, con mis hermanos en PNW, pero los recursos que yo pueda compartir con mi experiencia, aquí estamos para eso, ¿ok? Ok, bueno, muchas gracias por tu tiempo and thank you for everybody for listening today. Thank you, thank you.